0: Welcome to the Made for People podcast series brought to you by Driven by Design Award Programs. I'm Mark Bergen, the founder of Driven by Design, and joining me as my co-host on this series is Kirsten Mann. Kirsten spends a lot of her time with other product management executives, and she's taken the opportunity to interview them and bring to you the stories about how they're made for people, how the projects that they're working on are made for people, and how also the outcomes that they're creating are made for people. But enough of me, over to Kirsten. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of chatting to Tilo Alex Bruner. Now, it's important that we get the middle name in there, isn't it? So, did you want to give some context around why?
1: Yeah, I can, because there is a photographer from Germany. He's as well called Tilo Brunner, but with a different middle name. And so at some point we decided to use both the middle name so things don't get mixed up.
0: I love that you've got a person with another similar name in another country. Yeah. And at some stage you've had to say, right, we've both got to use our middle name here. Exactly. Because we're both famous now.
1: Yeah. So we emailed each other. We're... Contacted each other on Facebook, but we never met.
0: Now, the company that you're with is On. Did you want to tell us a bit about On? Well,
1: On was founded in 2010, but I already started working with the founders in 2009 uh, before the company was founded. Uh, What the company does is uh, running shoes. So that was the first thing. We added apparel in 2015. And the important thing to know is that on is based on a on a feeling, on a running feeling, and the core of the brand is a patent on a very special running outsole uh, on which we build our shoes.
0: Okay, and how did you... So what's your role now, and how did you actually become involved?
1: So now I'm head of design, leading the whole design team, shoes, apparel, but as well appearance, retail, uh, POS, art directing, the whole company. Um, but how I got involved was that I had a just very slight contact point with one of the founders, I think it must have been 2007 or so. And somewhat they remembered me and when they started with that crazy shoe idea, they invited me for a design pitch. And that was in fall 2009 and I had to pitch against other shoe designers. It's it's wrong when I say other because I, I wasn't a shoe designer back then. And so the guy who never designed the shoe met the people who never produced a shoe, but they all had apparently similar ideas in mind, so it was quite a match.
0: And what about before? Like, people were always really interested to hear the transitions that we have into design leader roles. What's been your kind of highlights, career highlights? I
1: I was a product manager um, as well with the education that goes with it, and I'm from, from Be from a town called Beel, and that's where the German-speaking part and the French-speaking part of Switzerland, where they meet, And that's the home of the Swatch Group and where Swatch is at home. And so it happens to quite a lot of people who grow up there to sooner or later work for the Swatch Group. And I always wanted to become a designer, but I worked there as a PM uh, for four full years. And it just happened, I have to say, because I I started this work. It was literally my first big job after um, university. And back then, the product management of, um, of Swatch was very product-driven. So we really worked a lot with designers on the product. And my task was to brief the designers, to control the range, um, to help to commercialize it. So I got to learn design, but not from the design execution side, but from the design management side. And I stayed so long because it was such a good job. And then only when I was, I think, 25, I decided to go back to university for another five years to do really B.A.M.A. uh, in product design.
0: And so having been on both sides of the fence, do you think there's really any difference in those leadership roles ultimately?
1: Yeah, big difference. Um, But... The most important thing that I understood is that the one side cannot work without the other. That might be the most important of it all. And it helped me tremendously that when I finished my design studies, I already knew the other side and I knew how to talk to those people, which honestly I think is really a bit the weak point sometimes of the design education, that you can have brilliant creatives, uh, but that the business and the marketing and the collaboration side uh, sometimes can turn out to be quite difficult.
0: You've had those two sides of that coin going through. So you've been able to bring that perspective, I imagine, to ON as well. Can you talk a bit about what's your creation process? Is, is it very user-centric or what do you do?
1: The creation process that we're going through it ON now is, is pretty complex because it happens on a lot of, of levels so we're always forming teams between development and pms and and design people and it's never a linear process where one team starts and then the other one takes over so it's it's a hand in hand process from the very start and into that flows the feedback you know from from consumers from our athletes so in a pretty short amount of time we have to look into many many things which go way further than than styling i always Try to explain design like that, that yes, of course we make things look nice, but time-wise that's perhaps the last 20-25% of our time until there, it's a pretty rational work that demands a quite logic um, how do you say, a journey that you have to go through. Um, The aesthetic part, you know, it should should become more clear when the product and the functionality and the use case is more clear.
0: You've got a really interesting development cycle in the sense that digital products, it's all about being able to, you know, iterate, put something out, learn, iterate, and yet you can't really do that, right? Like you've got to be careful in terms of um, producing a, pro- a physical product. How do you actually learn and iterate and bring that innovation into what you do? I think even internally
1: we have gone through a long process because when we when we designed and then made our first shoe, a lot was. Just trial and error, and we had to take assumptions and just work with those and get things, you know, more or less right. And 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 um, now, in the meantime, after ten years of building shoes, and um, we have much more experience. And when we have an idea of how we want a shoe to feel, um, it became more natural for us how to build it. Because we've tried out so many things um, that we're getting better and better of, you know, really nailing it uh, with the first or the second try.
0: And you mentioned that you've got a different type of way to bring innovation into your product creation as well. The difficult thing, I think, is to,
1: to, to have that all done in um, synchronicity. Sorry, it's a very difficult word in English. Um, so things can happen at the same time. Because we work uh, two years in advance, we're always two years ahead of the market, and so it's always trying to land 10 planes at the same time, <laughs> on the same on the same landing strip.
0: We hear that commonly in product as well, right? It's always that side.
1: That happens on, on a lot of levels. I mean, it happens on material level, on engineering level.
0: Your company, is, you mentioned it's been 10 years in that kind of cycles and things. So, does it make it easier for you as a a leader in that um, with your exec and board to understand the value of what you guys do?
1: Yes, and I have to say, it's it's really, it's always been a pleasure to work with, with the founders from the very start. I found that the, then the four of us, when, when, I, uh, when I joined and as well with the development people, we always had a very good common understanding of what, what the other people do. And I think that comes from the fact that we never, you know, saw like our own respective discipline as the most important one, but just... We know that it only can work as a whole when everybody compliments the other people and while we can have very you know heated discussions about things, they're always extremely good and without that friction, I think you you don't you don't drive things. Uh, forward
0: and how how do you get feedback from people and users who are using your shoe
1: i mean one is the internal feedback and development which is which is quite instant because now we built up all this experience but then we have uh, literally testing teams um, because there are all the lab tests the machine tests but those cover let's say the scientific part and the part which you can quantify very easily that's the, that's that exactly that's lab testing but then when we work on a new shoe we have to give this out to the people that go running with it in the mountains and that's quite a logistic behind that in the meantime so the goal is literally to run the shoe several hundreds of kilometers in a very short time. So it's almost like a handover from a pair of shoe from one tester to the next one.
0: One of the fantastic examples of actually getting people involved in your products and exposed to them is at the Product Management Festival, you're doing this amazing event.
1: We once had t-shirts at a fair, they said don't talk to me about my shoes and what we meant was not, don't talk to me at all, but we meant we can talk as much as we want. Uh, you just have to try them um, because they really feel special. So for tomorrow at seven o'clock in the morning, we, uh, we meet in front of the main entrance of the PMF festival and there will be the on testing team waiting for you with several dozens of ons so you don't have to bring your own shoes.
0: So what, hold on. So what if a hundred people turn up?
1: Well, that would be a bit more than expected. Right.
0: <laughs> so, you're expecting there's not that many people who are going to go on to get up at 7 o'clock and come and do your shoes, but there'll be enough there.
1: Yeah, I hope there will be enough.
0: And I think it's a fantastic way of uh, another example of just how do you get that user feedback and exposure at different places. So, I love it. Exactly. And so, I suppose part of this is, you know, having, we've seen um, design and product leaders typically have different frameworks, different tools to keep their experience executives and their boards across how products are going and what you're doing and things. What do, what do you use to communicate um, the value of the products that you're creating and the, and the direction you're kind of going?
1: Well, most important for us is we focus always a lot on the technology uh, that we apply. I think that's the core of our brand. And no matter if people, you know, for what they use the shoe, we always build shoes that are in their heart, their running shoes. And then it's quite nice to see what the people do with it. So I'd say that's the really the center of the communication.
0: What about in terms of the... Effectiveness in terms of the the prof- financial performance of those shoes and the response to those and different markets. How, are you kind of responsible for pulling that knowledge together and presenting that to your executive?
1: No, I mean that's a collaboration then with with the product managers and with the with the regions of the world. And what you say is is very interesting because a shoe that works on one continent uh, does not necessarily uh, need to work. Uh, the same on another continent. Uh, that's that's really interesting.
0: Mm. It, it's kind of the global challenge, isn't it? And terrain is quite different in Switzerland compared yes, to Australia, exactly. for example. Exactly. <laughs> so, how do you actually determine the value that you expect from a shoe before you create it?
1: Well, I think there is something like a logic product matrix, um that 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 you want to fill in because we know all those different types of runners and what on the ground they run what their goals are in terms of performance and distance and speed and I think that again that's the part you can quantify but it's very important that we have as well our let's say the passion projects which might um, be you know at first at first view not as interesting as the other ones because perhaps you cannot even measure them against other products that are already on the market so the the logic process would be okay we want to make a shoe that looks a bit like this or like that and does that because we have um, had a look at the market and that's the benchmarking but for me the most interesting shoes are that the ones that complement those logic decisions, which are shoes that come a bit from from the gut uh, and where you want to build hybrids that just did not exist before, so you cannot even measure the market because you want to be the first company that produces a shoe or a piece of apparel um, that does so many things.
0: And it's interesting, you mentioned right at the start about changing from just footwear to sports and apparel and things. So how do you kind of look at your ecosystem? Are you kind of looking across that and thinking we want to actually pivot to be... Lifestyle focused, or is it really keeping to the soul of the company? Not, no pun intended, and coming back to what you originally were doing, which is footwear from the outset.
1: Clearly, the core is running and always will be because that's that's where our technology is based on. I think like um, you always have a starting point, and you have to stay true to those to those roots. But then, where people take it, you know, on their own, that's very refreshing for us to see where our shoe shoes pop up in the meantime for what activities and of course we're very happy if people if people adapt them. But so we really focus on technology and that's the main thing where this goes really happy to get surprised over and over again.
0: So tell me about a company besides yourself where that you think has really nailed the end to end experience, both in creating great products and then have you know supporting customer service and all the rest of it that they've just nailed that end to end thinking.
1: Well I think what, what works really well is, is already the relation between design and marketing and uh, content and social media people. You know when back in the days when I still uh, ran, a, ran a product design agency, my biggest fear was always that we invest everything that we have uh, into the product, and then God knows what the photographer or the marketing guy would make out of it. And we had, of, uh, of course, those, those cases where it was okay, but then as well, all the cases, you know where we just thought. Oh no, well, what did they do? And at, at ON, um, because we work so closely together, we literally start the whole process together like two years in advance. So we can be sure that whatever um, department works on it uh, only fortifies you know, what, what you already have done. And I think that's, that's, uh, that's pretty rare and I really enjoy that
0: and, and what other companies do you think are doing this well in terms of creating products and the experiences that go with those can,
1: can't name any competitors now no um, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> of course no I can but hey, I think generally today what, what's perhaps a bit the difference to you know even 10-15 years ago even if you make a very good product if you don't have a very good storyline and very good visuals to go with it I'm not sure if you're going to sell as much so it has become really Incremental part of um, of the product that you do, what you create around it,
0: the story that goes with that, and the yes. positioning for yes. sure, and. How, how do you think On's products are contributing to creating a better future?
1: I think there are different levels. So let me begin with this, with the easy one, which is the better future for the runner. I mean, the company is, was based on, on pain, if you like, because one of our founders, Olivier, he was one of many thousands or millions of runners that couldn't run anymore as they wanted because they were so much in pain. Um, over-practicing just too many... Uh, you know, hard races and so on. So I think on uh, sounds always uh, like, like, like we came up with the rhyme, but it's putting fun back into the run and giving people just this experience of having an easier run. So um, we work a lot with those people because we know a lot of people, they go running because they think they need to and it's healthy, but actually they're in pain. And so we try to convince those people with our shoes that running doesn't have to be painful. So, so that's it's a, that.
0: creating better fitness and personal experience.
1: Exactly. So that's that's the personal thing, but then as well we're in a we're in an um, industry that has a lot of challenges in terms of materials and processes because the way how. The industry built shoes is not necessarily new. And so, when it comes to material and the environmental impact and sustainability, um, there is again, I think, several categories. There's one which we call a bit the quick fixes. Um, which just have to be done. I mean, that's like a list that you work through where you can see, okay, what is available already today, where we can, um, you know, like recycle shoelaces instead of new one, insoles and so on. And that's not even something to be especially proud of because it's just a part of what you have to do and it's not even worth communicating anymore. But then I think there are all the mid- and the long-term initiatives where we have uh, set a different long term bigger goals that we want to achieve in xy years and i think that's that's the really big thing because writing this down in theory is not the job yet done i mean that's that's a big part of it as well being conscious of the of the challenges that exist but then since you're working on the whole world, you need to get all the factories in the boat and all that. So that's that's a tough one. Um, and the whole industry is, is, is pushing really hard to get that done now.
0: What legacy do you want to leave it
1: on? Well, that sums it perhaps up um, quite well. Because on one hand, I'm a designer and I want to have like a, a, a functional and aesthetic impact of how people Look at our shoes and of how they run, and personally as well. My ultimate goal is to make a better material and process future, and that's as well the reason why I became an industrial designer that works on an industrial scale. And I decided to try to have an impact on products that get produced in the thousands, and that's why I not became like a artisanal worker, you know, that only does ten
0: pieces. Your art is being seen in lots of products everywhere around the world now.
1: Exactly. So I hope to have an impact. Uh, on that level. Very important.
0: Something that we talked about just before was you'd actually seen um, our podcasts and things. And one of the interesting ones was the Driven by Design, but Design in the Boardroom series that we did. And that was actually, you kind of piqued your interest in talking to us, I think.
1: Yeah, exactly. That was what intrigued me because um, I've I've been thinking about that a lot in, in my professional life, but I've been as well a professor for product design at ECAL in Lausanne for 10 years. Now I stopped for capacity reasons. But I like this title so much because I've always thought there are not enough designers in boardrooms, very simply, because design is not, again, I, I really fight uh, strongly against the impression you know, that we only make things look nice, but we are often at the crossroads of, of marketing and engineering and development, and then we make it look nice. So, um, design is, is, is a way of, of thinking and design is like a, a very universal language that you can apply to processes. And I think the, the word design has almost become a bit problematic in the meantime because people think as of design is, is, is everything and nothing. It's, it's, it's a difficult word. But... For example, if you um, include us early enough into processes, we can simply save a lot of money because we look at processes in a different way. We're not process uh, interested in the process only you know, for the sake of the process, but we want to know everything, how a product gets produced. And we want to make a product as simple as possible. We don't want to create waste. So you need to know the process and the machines. And so eventually we, we dive very deep into such stuff which uh, can save a lot of money. And I think it's always done a bit injustice to designer because people think they cost, but they always should be an investment and not an expense. If, if, if a designer has cost more money, then he will eventually bring back, then it was a job wrong done.
0: And do you see, like you mentioned that you're, you've been doing um, at the university for 10 years, yeah. do you see a change in the industry in, in this understanding or is it just kind of still pretty much design is a lot out of the boardroom dramatic change in 10 years Um, when I started um,
1: tutoring I still had the impression it was let's exaggerate a bit a a world with a lot of of vanity and of young students dreaming of having an image of a chair published um, in in, in glossy magazines I have now 80 percent of all the students I've worked with uh, on on master thesis projects you know like the big picture is they want to contribute to a better world and they don't care any much, uh, anymore so much about that, that gloss, but they really want to you know, work on materials, work on processes. And then again, they want to make beautiful things, but just as a result of everything else.
0: And that is just absolute music to our ears because Mark and I are so driven about how do we create a better world through what design and what we do. So it's fantastic that you're actually seeing that kind of thought coming up through with your students as well. That gives me a lot of hope.
1: It's it's, it's the best thing that, that happens to me over and over again because... You, you really can see and feel that people want things to change. And we're always, you know, working in this very, it's very paradox as a product designer. Um, you make materialistic things, but perhaps you are part of this group of p- people who is most critical about having, you know, too many things or the wrong things. So that's always quite a left and right question.
0: Well, Thilo, Alex Bruner, thank you very much for your time today.